I want to win again for sure, but like my next goal is, is Bathurst. Now that uh, emphasis on that raises and I need to try and get that done. When I first took over the team at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, weren't especially rosy, but we managed to win a, a race with Chaz Mostert that year in, in July and I thought, gee, this caper's bloody easy. Hey, I'm David Reynolds from Penrite Racing and this is Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock, and good afternoon, Craig. Good evening, Tony. It's great to be back here, one another. Well, what should be a very interesting weekend of racing coming up in two weekends' time. Um, Bahrain's happening this weekend. We had last weekend a uh, IndyCar race with uh, Will Power missing out, unfortunately. I suppose uh, our thoughts turn to Simmons Plains, and will the Mustangs be slowed? I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, underwater work being done by supercars the uh, adrian burgess in his new role with campbell little as his technical advisor is this uh, center of gravity testing they did going to result in uh, some slowing down and the inter- integration of a new rule uh, possibly craig yeah, and interestingly as we record this on tuesday there could be moves as quickly as Wednesday for uh, changes to be made. It's an extraordinary thing, but as we talk about Simmons Plains, uh, uh, some interesting uh, article appeared recently uh, in the Launceston Examiner, Right. Yes, I, I'm not sure who made the article or who uh, was responsible for the article, but it was interesting that they talked about the Simmons Plains event not having as strong a support card as many of the eastern states and even the, uh, well, most of the eastern states would normally have. So it was suggesting that because they give so much money from the Tasmanian government, the support card should be stronger. Um, they made their case, and they made their case quite strongly. I, I do, though, Tony, uh, make the point that in Western Australia, that's normally uh, heavily supported by local categories, and more particularly Darwin, it's normally heavily supported by local categories who uh, enjoy the opportunity of being in uh, a part of the main game. Indeed, indeed. There's, um, you know, it's a long history of uh, motor racing in Tasmania, and there's a uh, you know, good history of them providing lots of uh, talent for uh, touring car and supercar categories. But one of the other things interesting that's coming there next weekend, or coming up soon, is uh, an integration of a, a new uh, item in the supercars, which we haven't seen before, and that is the uh, policing of a park ferme after qualifying. Um, that's certainly going to uh, add interest to the event. It's going to change a few things in and around how teams do do their uh, their setups of the cars for qualifying because after qualifying the cars will be required to stay in that configuration for their race. Yeah, for a lot of categories of course in Australia which are largely amateur racing you always have to race what you qualified but supercars is uh, normally... Uh, you know, not multiple, but certainly serious major changes to cars after qualifying to make it into a race car. But now you have to do the other way around and race what you qualified. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. But it, all in all, um, we came out of uh, uh, the Grand Prix with the only major damage, I think, would have been uh, once again, unfortunately, Macaulay Jones' car being uh, heavily, uh, heavily big hit in the front end. Um, otherwise, the category was fairly straight. Yeah, it, I 
would like to raise, and perhaps this should have been my final thought, but I'll raise it now, the interesting situation where uh, uh, the sponsor of Richie Stanaway's Gary Rogers Motorsport Car, Boost Mobile, is going to pay Richie Stanaway's fine. Now, if I think back to an earlier time, wasn't there a cloud funding being raised to allow David Reynolds uh, to pay David Reynolds' fine from Bathurst a few years ago, and supercars made a big issue about, no, it, can, it has to be paid by the driver. Yes, indeed. Um, I'm sure that did happen. But uh, I know that Dave did actually pay the fine himself because I uh, spoke to him about it. But you know, who knows what goes on behind closed doors about bank accounts. Okay, so looking to this week's show, we had uh, had a number of inter- in- interesting interviews, um, certainly uh, Kurt Zakzewski, who uh, had a very prime role within the Supercars organisation as both the 12-hour man and also uh, uh, chief on the Ute business. And we spoke to him just before John Casey had announced he was leaving, which um, at the time I thought it was funny that Kurt was the lead man where John Casey had been for so long, the lead man on the 12-hour, but then all was shortly revealed that John was moving on. Anyway, so he's coming up after the break with Kurt Zakzewski, who's been around supercars for all, oh, you know, quite some years, and certainly uh, well knowledgeable to talk about both the 12-hour and Utes. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock from Truck Assist Techno Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. It's Tony Whitlock, Craig Gravel, talking with Kurt Zakzewski, who has been in the land of V8 supercars and super utes and all sorts of things since 2002. The very famous name, Kurt. Welcome on board. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Very difficult name to pronounce for most people. But fortunately, I knew it before you arrived because I knew of your father. Tell us about your background in motorsport. Uh, well, I guess it's well, my family's background uh, is uh, that my family owned a little dairy farm on the north, northern suburbs of Brisbane. Uh, in, uh, in the late 50s, when the local racetrack shut down, they, uh, my grandfather decided to turn it into a hill climb that then became a racetrack, which is today known as Lakeside, Lakeside Park, but was Lakeside Raceway. Yeah, a wonderful event. I, I go, went to the very last one, and it was a terrific venue. It's still going now, not part of the family though anymore. No, that's right. No, no, we, we sold it, um, I think it was 2001, uh, we sold the circuit, so the Pine River Shire Council bought it, or what was the Pine River Shire Council then, um, and then the council, I think it was 2006, they reopened it, um, and uh, Queensland Raceways have got the, uh, the motorsport management licence there. So uh, it's good to see there's still cars out on the track. There's a little museum there where you can see some of the history of the venue, oh, wow. which is fantastic. So there's, you know, you can look up and there's a few photos and a bit of an explanation of, um, you know, the involvement of my grandfather, Sid, um, the QMSC, all the guys who were involved in actually, you know, building and maintaining. You know, it was very much a club circuit 
um, all through the 60s and, and the 70s, where the club managed it. Owned, you know, my family owned the block of land, but the club really operated the circuit. Um, and it was loaned only, you know, I think towards the 80s that it sort of became a commercial business. And then my family ended up sort of running it and uh, continued that until, uh, yeah, until 2001, I think it was. Did you race yourself? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Not much. I, uh, I didn't do karting or anything. I didn't, I didn't race as a, as a young fella. I don't think my mother was too keen on it. My dad wasn't keen on uh, pushing the envelope. Uh, but then once I turned 18, um, I, did, uh, I did start racing HQ Holdens, which was the thing to do in Queensland. Um, so I raced HQ Holdens for about three years. Uh, and, uh, yeah, look, you know, I only destroyed one. And, um, yeah, well, so I destroyed, so that was pretty good. Um, but, yeah, look, I, uh, I was not going to be the next anything. So there came a point in time where the time and effort to, that needed to be spent to, to continue, you know, not even necessarily make a career out of it, but just to continue in motorsport was sort of something that I didn't have to available. So I thought, oh, let, let, let that be and still get to hang around the sport anyway. Now, Kurt, when he came into uh, Avesco as it was then, uh, you were in the operations side of the business. Now you're the general manager of operations. Um, but you wear various hats during the year. Okay. Obviously here in Adelaide, that hat is one of them is the Super Utes, the ECB Ute Series. And the other one is here as an events... Well, it's really um, yeah, liaison with the, the support categories. So there's a number of categories that run with the supercar program throughout the year. So whether it be the, uh, the Porsche Carrera Cup, Touring Car Masters, Aussie Race Cars, um, they're all categories that run with the supercar program throughout the year. So we have commercial relationships with all those categories. Um, so it's my job to sort of be the main liaison with those guys, um, including sort of assisting them at events that, that aren't promoted like this one here, that aren't promoted by Supercars Australia. Um, so, yeah, so looking after that as well as the, the ECB Super Ute Series this weekend. And, of course, um, you had great success two years ago with the first Newcastle. Now you've had another one. Uh, a wonderful event as there you have the hat of being the event manager. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I came in start of 2017 to get the, that inaugural year off the ground, um, which I think has been you know, well documented, the amount of blood, sweat and tears that went into that um, and the, the great amount of civil... And the well-deserved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, it was a fantastic vet. I mean, it was pretty magic, um, you know, some fantastic racing. And, uh, and you know, look, the Saturday night of that event when Cold Chisel were playing down at that parkland there, it was just one of those magic moments when you work in this, you know, events entertainment industry. Every so often you have those moments when you sort of, you do get the chance to stand back and look at what's happening and you go, yeah, you know what, this is a pretty, pretty amazing thing. So that first event was definitely one of those. Okay, now we're wanting to move on to your most recent event and, in fact, a great success because it even moved the Bathurst 12-hour further up the tree of international motor racing. So now you've had the, the post-brief on the 12-hour? Uh, look, we've certainly done our internal debriefs. Um, we've probably still got some more, um, I guess, reviewing and debriefing to do with some of our stakeholders. Uh, but, uh, but look, internally we've been through it all and, and had a good look and see uh, how it looks. And um, look, we, you know, we were very happy with the results. We had great great viewership, uh, great racing on track, very clean racing this year, which was great after, I guess, 2018 had, had its fair share of carnage out on the track. Um, and so to come back in 2019 and have a really clean race, and a, and a great race, you know, the, 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 those last 20, 30 minutes of the race were amazing, as, as are most races at Bathurst, but I think yet again this was one of those really special ones. I stayed home for the first time in about five years and watched it on television, 
and I chose well because there was so much green lap racing. Um, and there's been quite a change in the time that the uh, 12 hours has been resurrected. One of those changes was the category change where it became far more a GT category and that in, since then you've also seen a, a tightening up of the regulations or the specification so there were less cars but a high quality. Can you talk about that? Yeah, look, I think you're right. As, as we've seen, when, when it switched across to going to a full GT spec or, or allowing the international GT3 cars to come in, started off with a handful of cars. That's now developed to seeing us have 28 Class A, as we call them, GT3 cars on the on the track, um, which is amazing. You know, we had drivers from 22 different countries, teams from 10 different countries come to Bathurst to be part of this event. So um, a- as the event matures, we'd like to see more manufacturers involved. It, it's part of the Intercontinental GT Challenge, which is an SRO-promoted series, um, which has five races around the world this year. And um, for the rest of this year, they've got um, eight manufacturers um committed to that series and next year we should see Lamborghini and and McLaren join that list so if we've got 10 manufacturers committed to that series and they all have at least two cars each there's your first 20 22 20 cars on the grid with with professional drivers Uh, and then we've always had a really strong pro-am entry in Australia as well so we could definitely see this this event become you know more and more about the GT3s and and you know possibly some of those other classes you know at some point they will drop off I guess. Now, the SRO that uh, Kurt's talking about, of course, is Stefan Rattel organisation, and he's been running the Blanc Plain in Europe and America and Asia, uh, most recently Asia recently. Um, James O'Brien and Yeehaw Productions, if that was the name of it, have done a great job in setting the template up for this race. Um, Supercars came in and, and bought the series as such from James O'Brien. The, the Bathurst 12 Hours is actually a joint venture. So the, the Bathurst Regional Council and uh, James O'Brien's Yeehaw events uh, were the original two partners. Uh, and then three years ago, Supercars Australia bought out James O'Brien or Yeehaw events. So uh, Supercars is now the other partner with the Bathurst Regional Council. Um, and we'll continue on that model there. Whereas the, the 1000 event that we run with the Supercars, um, that's a wholly owned event by Supercars Australia. Now, the timing of the two obviously suits as well, works for you, because you've got two big headaches in a year from on the mountain. Um, the other one, of course, Newcastle, is now a bit closer to Bathurst, isn't it? Uh, yeah, look, the, a week difference doesn't really make that much of a difference. It's still very close. Um, you know, uh, Newcastle's a pretty heavy workload at that time of year. The, the good thing is we've got a great events team, and that's what allows us to do, I think we're doing 11 events this year or 12 events this year. So, you know, we've got a good, strong team of people. Um, Bathurst is, I guess, the one circuit we go to twice a year with two different events. So there's a lot of uh, things. We don't have to go reinventing the wheel um, when we go back there in, in February for the 12-hour, which is good. Um, and to some degree... Uh, that series, the the technical side, the motorsport side, is taken care of by SRO. So, you know, they set the technical regulations for the event, you know, the parity, all that sort of stuff. So there's a large part of the workload that might normally be at a supercar event that we would be involved in, that with that event, SRO sort of takes that off our plate. Um, So that helps a little bit. But definitely, you know, two very big events to to run at the one location. Critically for the 12-hour, though, it runs on the previous year's specifications... So in some ways you like to have the newest, the greatest, but in other ways you're getting the tried and true equipment packages that you know will last the 12-hour. And so few of the failures are mechanical failures these days in these races. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess that's the risk when you've got a, a brand new vehicle on track that, you know, if there's something not sorted, the, the debut of a race car can not always be the, the best appearance for it. But, uh, look, we, we'd love to start the year, you know, in each year with, with that latest model car. So we got the Bentley turn up this year, which was great. Um, but, look, there are plans moving forward. The FIA and SRO are looking at uh, working with the manufacturers to bring forward the, uh, the BOP test date. So to do it in the previous year. Um, now, it won't happen straight away because, obviously, the development time for a new model car is, is quite long. But potentially in, say, 2001, 2002, maybe, we might see that, you know, we start the 2000 and, sorry, 2021, 2022, sorry. Um, so, yeah, we might see in 2021 or 2022 that we actually have the new spec 2021 or 2022 cars starting the race. The manufacturers obviously would like to, you know, go to Bathurst. It's a very big event for them now. It's on that bucket list that all the manufacturers have up on their wall. Um, and they'd obviously like to start their campaign with the new car as well. Uh, you know, Porsche has a new GT3R this year, but, you know, they're very happy to make um, the Bathurst 12 Hour the swan song of the previous version of that car and uh, and very excited to see it, you know. I think it's great to win first time out with a new car, but it's also really nice to win the last time out with a model car. So I think the, the guys from Porsche were pretty happy with that. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, it's something that hopefully we might see change in the future, but right now, look... We're quite happy that we know next year we're going to see the, the new Aston Martin, the new Lamborghini, the new Honda Accord, hopefully. Um, you know, a number of those 2019 spec cars on the grid for 2020. And as you said, sorted and ready to race. Bathurst 12 has been on the radar of a lot of European teams and manufacturers. One of the interesting ways that uh, you can see immediately the impact it's had is, is the manufacturer's displays at Bathurst. And that's fantastic. I remember actually talking to Stefan Rattel at Monza a couple of years ago, and he talked about how getting those displays was an important part of it. But uh, quite obviously, you're getting on the radar of those teams and drivers who are wanting to put it on their must-do-that list. That's the case, isn't it? Absolutely, and it's, it's, it's not just the teams, the drivers, it's the manufacturers. As I, as I mentioned before, you know, Audi, Porsche, Mercedes, AMG, Bentley, Aston Martin, you know, they, these, these manufacturers want a, a Bathurst 12-hour win on their mantelpiece. They want that trophy. There's the 24 hours of Spa, there's Le Mans 24 hours. You know, Bathurst is recognised worldwide as an iconic circuit, um, and endurance racing there. Uh, is you know is the kind of thing that appeals to all these Europeans. So the drivers definitely want to do it, but the important thing is the manufacturers want to do it, and uh, that's where with Intercontinental GT Challenge, it's a very unique series in that it's a manufacturer championship, and that allows different teams to actually represent the manufacturer in each country. So here in Australia, teams either based in Australia or out of Asia, like Earl Bamba Motorsport, can represent their brand. But then when they go to uh, California 8 Hours at Laguna Seca um, they might have a, a local team like Wright Motorsport represent Porsche in that region when they go to Spa chances are it's going to be the, the factory outfit that's closer to their European headquarters but once again Suzuka at the end of the year Kailame, you know when they go to these different locations the manufacturers generating points in the championship but they don't necessarily have to keep sending the one car 
all around the country, they can make use of their customer cars. And, uh, and that's obviously great for the customers too, that when a customer buys a car from the manufacturer, they run it in the local GT3 class in their country. Uh, and then when it comes to this international event coming to town, they get to represent their brand. You know, no different than a sports person representing their country. Kurt, I imagine you'd know the name Jeff Sykes. Jeff Sykes was the uh, promoter at the ARDC at Warwick Farm in the early 60s. He used to do a trip, and one of the reasons that the teams would come down, he was an ex-BRDC uh, member and uh, knew them all well. It must be hard for you, though, going over and knocking on doors and saying, come on down to Bathurst. Uh, yeah, look, uh, yes and no. I mean, the good thing is that we've got a strong GT racing series here in Australia. So I myself worked for Porsche uh, here in Australia, so I've, I've got good connections with, with, with Porsche and their motorsport department. Um, we've got Melbourne Performance Centre here who are very tight with Audi, so um, being able to be introduced to the right people at Audi is, is not hard. Um, our relationship with the local... Uh, resellers of those manufacturers is quite good so um, when you go overseas uh, you can you can actually get time with the manufacturers working in as part of the SRO uh, family I guess because we, uh, we our event is run under their rules uh, they're very good at uh, you know helping us engage with the manufacturers so if I go to a circuit overseas um, they can help with introductions with teams that we don't know obviously we've had a lot of teams that have already come to our event so that's um, they're easy to catch up with those guys but um, it is a very uh, tight-knit sort of family. But uh, I think the great thing is the Bathurst event, the Bathurst 12-hour, has got such a great reputation over there that um, it's not hard when you, um, when you say to a team, hey, can I come and meet with you? I want to talk to you about next year's Bathurst 12-hour. They're, they're very keen to have the conversation. They, they, want, to, they want to have a chat. But the, the big driver, I guess, is the manufacturers. They're the ones that are really funding a lot of the, these operations. And so they're the ones that um, we really need to work with. And so you'll be heading there for the 2020 race, and whereabouts will you go? Yeah, so this year uh, I'll be aiming to head over to Spa for the 24 hours of Spa. Um, that's the, the you know really the biggest endurance race. It's a it's the jewel in the crown of the SRO endurance series and the Intercontinental GT Challenge. So all the manufacturers are represented there. All their big teams are there, um, and that's a great opportunity to find all those people in one place um, where you can you know get that whether it's five or ten minutes or half an hour. Um, just engaging with those manufacturers, understanding what they're looking for for the event, uh, reassuring them what we can deliver for them when they come down here. Um, but that job's getting easier and easier every year. You know, the, we saw last this year, um, you know, just the, the depth of manufacturer-supported teams that came to the event um, and what they're willing to do to win. And, you know, we saw a couple of manufacturers get very close again, but haven't got it. I mean, really, we've got Nissan, Audi, AMG, Mercedes and Porsche have all had wins, but you can bet your bottom dollar that Bentley really want to take that trophy home one day. The the guys from our motorsport running Aston Martins really want that trophy and they got so close this year. So um, it's uh, the, the sell job's getting easier. So you're back in Queensland now after a couple of years with Porsche in Melbourne. Young family and your life is very busy on planes and going to events. Are you still able to enjoy the time you have in Queensland? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the great thing about Queensland and you know apologies to Victorians or people who live there but the great thing about Queensland is even if you've only got a little bit of time there the weather's usually pretty good uh, whereas Melbourne uh, Melbourne's a beautiful city and can be great but there can be a lot of times when the weather's not quite so good and uh, and you can't reliably pick it as well whereas in Brisbane at least you know when they say it's going to rain it generally rains and when it's not it's not so uh, yeah look I'm not doing quite as much traveling um, which helps but uh, but yeah absolutely enjoying being back in southeast Queensland.
the East Coast Bull Bars Super Ute Series, second year. What did you learn out of year one and what have you been able to implement in a, in a category like this for year two? Yeah, look, definitely a lot of learnings. I mean, it was a big challenge stepping in to take on a, a diesel turbo diesel dual cab ute series you know no one's really done that there's there's some over in asia the the similar sort of concept but done very differently and we wanted to make sure we we, we had a category that was very clean um, well run well built cars that you know would race so a lot of development last year a lot of learnings from last year um, this year we've you know we've we've put a different exhaust on we got a bit more noise out of them we're still working on developing that power out of the uh, out of the engines um, and that's an ongoing thing when we're we're balancing parity across six models of cars with really five engines because the Ford and Mazda really share an engine. Um, so we're balancing parity across five different models of engine, but then also six different chassis as well. So um, any gain you know you have to do, you have to take that gain across all all six cars, um, and that's something that's not fast. But um, you know we've seen where we've had strengths um, in terms of the way the racing works. The teams have all learned a lot, which is a great thing. So the way that they prepare the cars and they run the cars is better. The racing's a lot closer. Uh, probably, unfortunately, this morning's race, this afternoon's race was a bit too close. Yeah, look, certainly one of the learnings, I guess, was um, taking into account how production car racing works. Obviously, our experience is all from supercars, which, you know, it's a long, long way from production cars. So just understanding the pitfalls in when you're dealing with a production body shell and uh, predominant chassis and, you know, the impact of accidents and the time it takes to repair and all those sort of things. Um, and just looking at, uh, you know, the, the maintenance and, and, and repairability. But, you know, the teams have got their head around that, which is great. Um, they've certainly got their head around how to set up the car, how to get the most out of the engine, where the real strengths are and the power of those. Um, you know, traditionally, you talk turbos, you talk lag. Um, so, you know, it's about managing that and reducing it as much as you can. But then if there is a little bit how you, how you work that um, through those, those turbo engines. Um, and, uh, and just knowing that, you know, we want to put on a good show. Uh, hence, we've, we've, we've adjusted the rules this year and added another reverse grid race just to kind of spice things up and, and sort of add to the spectacle of having these guys out on track. It must have been difficult at times last year when the social media, the comments were coming back so negative yet manufacturer wise and partner wise i think the super utes were outstripping the main game for support oh i don't know about outstripping the main game but um certainly the super utes uh we started off with good commercial support and that's been maintained i mean the great thing is it is a production car series so you know the manufacturers that are involved it's their engines under the bonnet, their cars, their chassis that are being run. So it's, 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 there's a lot of ease for their, their dealership networks to engage with the Super Ute category. So that stays strong, which is fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been fantastic to have a, a good, strong partner like East Coast Bull Bars come on board. Um, they've been supportive of this concept since it was first dreamed up years ago. Um, and they're in it for the long haul. So they know that, you know, first year was going to be tough. But we saw a swing. You know, uh, probably about midway through the year, you still had some of those negative social media comments, but the people coming to the track, the people that were meeting these cars for the first time, seeing them in the flesh, understanding what they were, seeing how they were built, uh, they actually got more appreciation for it. So it's the usual thing. Um, Education helps quite a lot in anything that's new. And the more people became educated about what super youths were and what they could do, um, the more they grew to like them. And, um, you know, it's still, it's still in its early days. 
but we have got um, other manufacturers looking to come in. We've got um, we've got another one, hopefully that we, we might get in the next couple of rounds. Um, that we've got a vehicle there that's that's being prepped, and um, you know uh, that's good to see that you know that growth is there. And you know, as we see on the roads, you know the top three selling cars in Australia are dual cab utes. So you know, from a manufacturer point of view, you know if you want to get engagement, you know work with the vi- work with the product that they're selling the most of. You know that's probably where they'll get engaged. So um, that's shown. And, you know, Isuzu coming on board this year to support Ross Stone Racing. You know, last year the, the car was run independently. This year Isuzu is backing that entry, um, and that's great to see. And, and Mitsubishi's been a strong supporter from the outset. Um, Holden's been there and GM with their AC Delco brand. Um, and then, you know, with the other brands, probably more from a dealership level, there's been support as well. Uh, but uh, definitely it shows that, you know, it, the, the product works for them. They've got interest. It gets a lot of attention. Um, and, you know, look, in this day and age, social media seems to breed naysayers. Um, I think if you look on any story on, on, on websites, that's, even if it's supercars or F1, you know, more often than not, half the comments are negative ones. So um, I don't think there's too much to be gauged from that by, by counting comments on media stories. Thank you for your time today on Inside Supercars. And there's certainly not a lot of negative can be said about uh, the events that you're involved in, nor the calendar. Uh, it's looking very healthy, obviously a very different one this year with Bathurst before Sandown and things like that. But I'm sure we'll all get through it and be at Newcastle and going, wow, what a year it's been. So thank you for your time today, Kurt, on Inside Supercars. No worries. Thanks, guys. After the break, we're going to hear from Rod Nash telling us about Bottolo and how he grew a brand from being a windscreen sticker to be a full car sponsorship with the Tickford Racing Team. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Will Brown, co-driver of the Penrite Racing number 99 car for Anton Di Pasquale. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Got a rather special uh, topic today. It's one I've been chasing from Rod Nash, who is one of the co-owners of the company, Tickford Racing and Tickford uh, Road Cars. What's the differentiation between them? Are you uh, a co-owner of both? Um, oh, they're, yeah, co-owner. I mean, they're, they're um, different shareholdings between them, but but I'm certainly um, co-owner of both. So. And Tickford has gone through a number of uh, different uh, names in recent years as the business has changed and the dynamics of it all. But one of the things that's uh, particularly evident is that the strong branding that goes on with each of their now four cars, but one of them's uh, run for Phil Monday, who's a, a very old friend of some 25, 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, but one of those cars has always uh, struck me as a bit different because Rod Nash is responsible for growing a brand, and a brand that is the Bottolo brand. Tell us how they came about to be on your car back in 06, was it? Yeah, 2006, and um, obviously, you know, um, actually I'm a co-owner, a bit of a co-owner of everything, although I own outright, obviously, the uh, what's known as the... Um, Rod Nash Racing Wreck, yep. and um, and that's the one that the Bottolo has been serving for you know um, a number of years, and um, yeah, it started out by um, just a 
he uh, made a mine in the commercial industry and um, he, he happened to come across um, this uh, marketing lady that was um, working on this new brand within um, Metcash for uh, being a retailer and um, in, it was the bottle and the and the, the logo was just, just designed very um, quickly by an agency and, um, and it's never changed so um, um, we actually put our foot in the door in front of them um, put them on the windscreen of the car for the Adelaide race for um, pretty much free and um, uh, just to get the door open and then um, yeah it sort of went on for a few years as a um, sec tier 2 sponsors we, as we know them and then uh, come into naming rights um, under the um, uh, when we had pulled umbrella on the car Okay, now initially um, that would have been the Pepsi Max car of Mark Winterbottoms, would it? Um, um, possibly, I'm not sure. Yeah, about okay. The chassis. But you know, growing a, a sponsor from <coughs> nearly a free one, or <laughs> virtually, uh, but giving them a taste of what motor racing could do for their brand, which was a brand that was brand new, um, to now where it's a fully fledged green car and with all the fun that goes with that, the, which Mark Winterbottom has been racing for a number of years and now Lee Holdsworth, that's a tremendous achievement to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, um, you know, the, the green machine as it's known, or we're, um, they're very strict on that green colouring, so we know it by its PMS 362 colour, as we call it. Yep. But, um, but I think it's certainly um, created a good connection. It's a bit hard to... Um, even to the unknown eyes to be, uh, if you've ever seen the car out there, um, if you're driving around the roads and you see that green sign and the bottle o with the corkscrews um, in it, it's quite a prominent brainy um, to to stand out. But um, yeah, no, it's been exciting. But along the way, I mean, um, myself along with um, you know Metcash's management, I mean, we've challenged each other, so it hasn't just been a easy walk in the park, signing up new contracts each time we've, we've um, you know, worked hard. It's on, a dance. Yeah, worked hard on the correct, what's the next, uh, um, um, you know, um, part of the, the tango. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's been a great relationship, but certainly, um, again, they're marketing funds like all sponsorships, so you've got to, you've got to leverage them hard, and, um, and that's the... That's the beauty I guess of a long term um, longevity um, because you know you're just giving a lot back and that's what it's about. Okay now what other Metcash businesses are you involved in? Uh, none. None? Um, okay. No it's just the, the bottle O. Uh, they you know they try and keep their um, entities separate. Right. Um, you know rather than uh, collaborative. Lines, yeah. yeah so yeah. IGA has their stuff and Mitre 10 has their advertising so bottle O's really a uh, quite well known within the supercar ranks and that's the way they, they like to keep it. Um, given that uh, well, Chaz today in the super cheap car has uh, taken uh, first pole for a fair while, I think back to 17 sometime, um, you must be fairly buoyed up by the change in the, the body shape to the Mustang. It's, uh, it bodes well for a great year. Yeah, well, I mean, there's two parts of that story. I mean, um, you know, as we know, this has been a, a pretty much a two-year-long project um, you know, just um, enticing Ford, um, uh, and they had to be ready themselves to, you know, um, see the value in the in the motor racing again. 
Um, so, you know, the, there's no question that the Mustang um, project as we know it and the body shape and then obviously all the the uh, particular arrow that comes with it is um, is the dominant effect. But, you know, you just don't get it from just uh, putting a, a new body on your car. And last year, you know, for, for ourselves, um, uh, it was certainly a very flat year for us and we had to work really hard. I don't think we disgraced ourselves, but we certainly weren't at the... Um, the real punchy end of the field but what we were doing is we were still doing a lot of development in the cars so what we're seeing now as we did at Adelaide was um, very much the Mustang project but underneath it and underpinning it is um, two parts that we worked hard on last year and that was our engine upgrades and our um, very much our suspension geometry and so the three of them being pulled together we, re, we, we were remodelling the business as in its structure as well um, and just a whole lot of stuff. So it's like anything I always say, you know, you got to identify what your ducks are and then you've got to line them all up. And yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, the, the team put a lot of work into that last year and, um, you know, it's nice for them just to be able to this year seeing what I call a lot more meat on the bone to work with. One of the interesting things is that, you know, while... When you and I were growing up, that it was always very much the win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Mm. In the case of the Mustang, of course, the success of the car has already been happening with the road car, them, them doing far bigger units than they expected. Um, there was obviously a lot more pull forward for them to, uh, it's not dependent the involvement. No, and that makes for a good story for exactly that reason that the Mustang project is, um, uh, the Mustang road car is um, successful in its own right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to come into something like this and then use supercars as a branding leveraging platform, well, that just makes it all the more sweeter because um, it's, a, it's a bit of a win-win on both sides. Um, it's good for us to have a brand that's a successful car out there. So, um, yeah, it's got the making of um, the whole um, partnership um, to be quite successful. Do you drive a Mustang? I do drive a Mustang. I drive well. I drive two Fords, a, a Mustang and a and a Ranger. Okay, yeah. all right. Now that's the other side of your business, of course, is the road car, and that's proving successful, obviously. Yeah, well, I mean, um, you know, FPV um, decided to uh, all go out of business, so um, we sort of felt that um, the market was being starved, and again, um, you know the. They got some pretty good products out there, meaning Mustang being the halo brand, but Ranger is certainly up there against um, yeah. some of those other successful um, uh, four-wheel drive packages, and equally in their SUV market with Everest and the likes. Um, you know, they got some pretty good products. So for us, uh, we just sort of thought that there's an opportunity staring us in the face. But also, we've been working with Ford for a number of years on on this. I mean, all manufacturers look at what they can do or try and do in performance enhancement aftermarket and everything else. It's always difficult for them. Um, I mean, in Australia, you know, the Australian design rules, they're pretty tough compared to other parts of the world, so you've got to be careful with aftermarket, but, and, and we've upheld that standard. So we've seen the opportunity. And then, um, and so but because of our past um, with the business, with uh, being around, you know, the dealer network for, you know, one and a half decades, well, then we've, we've sort of got an obligation to keep that standard. So we just felt that uh, there's opportunity there and, um, and we're working our way through it. And um, 
it's our own business. It's it's definitely aftermarket. Um, it's not it's not a forward aligned um, thing at this point, but that doesn't mean we won't try. Um, but certainly, it's all part of the connection with. Um, you don't wake up um, with a race team in your back pocket um, when you start an automotive business, and hence why we felt that it was the right timing last year to make that change of name for the race team. Um, and Tiffid Racing, it's just a swimmer in the fishbowl, really, because um, you know, in the 2000s, um, you know, you watch those old Bathurst races and um, there's plenty of uh, Tickford signs um, down Conrad and everything else so um, so it's got a lot of history and um, and we felt it was a good fit with our with our road car business so yeah. Alright, well one of the other things that uh, it seems very evident to me is, having been around this business 20 plus years, is that you've got good continuity of staff, that's a key to making these sort of things while you've got the programs in place you've got to have the people there to put them into work um, yeah. so that's a and, and yeah your, your workforce is always your greatest asset I mean again last year you know um, yeah, we, had, we had tension in the team um, you know the drivers were tense because you know they um, I mean they work hard at everything they do it's just mental fitness at the end of the day yeah. and when they can't achieve what they need to do when they're doing their job out on the track well, that's frustrating engineers then get frustrated you know they're they're offsetting other parts of the car to make it faster when when some parts of it uh, are not there i mean the fg fgx served forward well but it was a 10 year old car you know so in terms of motor racing and the standard we run um you know we just squeeze that lemon uh, we couldn't squeeze any more out of it but you know again your workforce is your greatest asset and for all of them there was a lot of tension uh what was good by the end of the year was that um, apart from like you would always lose the odd one or two just for moving yes. for all their own personal reasons we actually didn't lose anybody just because they'd had enough and uh, wanted to move to another team. We're talking about a large <coughs> of course of how many people is Yeah it? it's 65. Yeah well that's you know. so it's credit to them and we, we made a point at the break up in our break up barbecue of endorsing them um, just for you know sticking in there now, obviously it's always nice to have that new project so everyone was looking forward I think the uh, last race of the season at Newcastle I mean as much and all they would have been still uh, working to the standard we do I think the FGX was uh, sort of heading towards the, um, uh, the scrap heap in respect to them having Mustang in their sights so um, you know, at least they got they had something to work for. But that that still, um, you know, was a, a pro- we paid heavily just in the um, the stress of the year. Um, but I still pointed out that one thing we did keep is our is our um, standard out there, and um, and we, we I don't feel we're foolish. I mean, even you know, in our category. We've got 24 this year. We had, we did have 26 last year. I mean, even finishing 25th, 26 sometimes in a race, um, you know, as we learned in Adelaide this year on the Sunday, that was the first time all cars finished the race. I mean, so it's grueling out there. So you know, we have a we have a great standard of cars. So we weren't we weren't last every time last year. We were still up there, but um, but yeah, the staff were just great to hang in there. And um, and um, still plenty of work going on this year. In fact, uh, if anything, um, the frustrations don't go away because then when you're faced with um, the prosperity of climbing back on that podium, well, then you've got to work harder to make sure you, you do that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rod Nash of Tickford Racing, for joining Inside Supercars. We'll talk later in the year and uh, see how... 
things are progressing. We hope you and wish all the best for the rest of this year. Welcome to Inside Supercars. I'm here with Phil Young of GP Human Performance. Um, just really a postscript to Adelaide and the uh, conditions there were for your drivers. Yeah, sure. Um, obviously coming into uh, Adelaide, hottest race of the year really. Um, and the biggest thing is obviously they're not really race fit because they've not been in a car before, so not for a long time. So um, over that weekend... Um, all the all your little aches and pains and uh, everything else that goes on in the car is sort of magnified really so what happens um, after uh, after the race and when I get back to uh, Queensland where <coughs> myself and James live um, we just go through a, uh, a more, almost like a debrief of the, of the body yep. so uh, <coughs> seeing uh, what issues he had over the over the race and uh, trying to address any of those uh, monitoring his hydration because obviously he got massively dehydrated over that period of time. Uh, even though you know we we were on top of the hydration program, um, you're you're losing sweat at such a rate uh, that replacing the uh, the salts and the electrolytes um, uh, you, you sometimes just can't keep up. So you have to make sure that afterwards you're really replacing them as quick as possible. So yeah, that's basically what we do. We uh, uh, get them back, sit them down, and uh, check them over, and uh, see how they are. James looks to be, and you know, looks not always the whole story, but he looks to be the fittest he's ever been. Yeah, um, as you know, he's uh, the oldest in the category now, um, but uh, he works very hard on his fitness. It's something that, um, you know, uh, James and I have been together for... 10, nearly 11 years now, yep. and um, probably longer than most marriages last these days. So, you know, we know each other very well. Um, we've been working uh, together on his fitness all through that time, and uh, once you get to his level of fitness, it's all about trying to get that last little bit out and sort of that 1%, as if you like, to uh, uh, make sure he's good for the car. Now, you talked about um, people work in different ways, metabolism, all those sort of things. I, I always remember the extremes of uh, the two range was uh, when Scafi and Richards were together on a, uh, a podium or a press yeah. conference. You would see Jim looking Captain Cool like he'd never driven a yeah. car that day, yeah. and Scafi is just pissing out of him, blood yeah. almost sort of like yes. coming to his eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. Everybody uh, sweats at different rates. Um, some people will sweat a lot. Some will, people will sweat not as much. It's just how the body is, uh, how the body is made up, and it's exactly the same with sweat concentration. Everybody is different, so that's what we concentrate on. We a we find a with our drivers, we find out what their uh, concentration of um, sodium is per liter, and then we work out uh, through um, through time. Uh, what their sweat loss is over a race uh, right. distance. Um, once we've got that um, uh, that information, then we can work a lot more specifically on what what they're losing, how much they're losing, and try and minimise that. Now, obviously, with Adelaide in mind, but even you know here we've got four races. They're relatively short, but still at times you know punishing on a body. Of course, it's it's the uh, way in which you recover from it that's important, isn't it? Exactly, recovery is everything, and uh, you know it's just like uh, you know you wouldn't send the cars out next day if you hadn't uh, gone over them fully and made sure that uh, everything was okay. So it's exactly the same with the driver. 
Uh, what, what we aim to do is to uh, make sure they're recovered fully uh, so they're ready to go, fit and ready to go for the next race. All right, well, thank you to Phil Young of GP Human Performance, who looks after the Walkinshaw and Dreddy United drivers. I look forward to following through the season and how progress is going. Thanks very much. After the break, we're going to hear from Phil Key, who's the engineer and technical director at Team 18. First of all, we spoke to him after the Adelaide weekend and then Albert Park post-race six. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian title since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Tony Delberto from Shell V-Power Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. We're here in pit lane post-race. I'm standing next to Car 18, engineer for this with Mark Winterbottom, Phil Keed. Welcome and congratulations on a fine sixth place. Thank you. Yeah, really pleased. Nice work. Now, as I just overheard you talking about, maybe we just go through. You had some problems yesterday in qualifying. Uh, yesterday in qualifying, yep, we did. We, I mean, to be honest, we had no expectations. If you're on the bubble, you can be 15th or 9th. And, you know, we just weren't quite quick enough. He, for us, you've got a curb strike, but you've got to be quick enough that your other lap gets you in. So, re- really, that was it's hard on the first time to understand the car with all the rules changing. But apart from that, we weren't unhappy. Okay. Now, you, you had some time out of the sport last year, a bit of gardening. Are you a very good gardener? Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, I, was, I just feel really lucky with the whole thing. I got sort of I got a year off, and it's, I think it suited everybody. And, yeah, I was in Canada. I did a lot of skiing, a lot of hiking, and uh, hung out with the kids, so it was really good. You got the energy back. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I can see it in Mark. I mean, there is enormous enthusiasm with him joining the team. He's like back to day one. I feel the same actually. I worked with him all those years ago, and you can see the same mark. Yeah, he's aged. He's got. He's a little bit older than he was, but he's a, he's a young guy still. He he's fit. He works harder than anybody I've met. He's me- mentally really tough, tougher than I when I worked with him last time. So yeah, it's it's exciting. Okay. Any issues during the race today? No, no. I mean, we're still trying to get on top of even with the new ECUs and everything else, the fuel numbers. So we were very conservative both races. Um, and, and we, we had a goal this weekend, which was to consolidate in the top 10. When we can't fight for the win with pace, and we can't at the moment, consolidate in the top 10, risk off. So, you know, we put a bit extra fuel in both. That's a little problem, but others are having the same problem with the ECU. So. Okay. Now, you did have problems at the test day, and you didn't get a full day in. Yeah. We had a few teething problems, but again... Frosty had good, really good read on the race pace, and we, we just didn't find the one-lap speed, which makes you look much worse than you are. Um, a lot of problems popped up, but that's great because it didn't happen here. We got rid of a lot of things. We're just knocking over little bits and pieces of the unknowns. So it wasn't as bad as it looked, but, we, yeah, we didn't get a, a single lap pace in. So. Okay. Now, obviously you're not going to have a test day before the Grand Prix. Um, I, I can't remember how Mark's done at the Grand Prix in the past, um, a big wide open track, I mean, that bit to your liking as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think the Fords, it's a little, pretty, little bit tricky. The Mustang's got some, um, you know, some a- assets at the moment, whatever they are, and it's going to suit them. But 
apart from that, I think Mark's always done very well there. We, we're just a bit at the bottom of our curve of understanding the car with the differences that from last year as a Triple Eight, and so we've got a little bit of work to do to get the car fast enough. It's been a while since you've engineered a Holden down there at uh, Brad Jones Racing. Yeah. How different is this car, or is it a lot more similar with some of those changes to linear springs and, and the like? Possibly heads a little bit back to there. Actually, the two teams, even though it's the same base car, from when I knew that and what I know now, they run the car a little bit differently. It's sort of in the middle, and, yeah, you sort of got to forget whatever you thought you knew with the, with the linear springs. You haven't been a customer of Triple Eight before. I mean, I know you obviously dealt with them over the years, being in the category. But um, now, as a customer, I mean, Charlie, obviously that was one of the elements that Mark wanted to get in. It was that direct customer feedback sort of thing. That's working to your advantage sort of now? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's what I, it's what I wanted as well um, because it, it, it gets you a, a, a sort of a structure where you can focus on smaller areas, sort of focus engineering, if you like, and it, it's a model that can work really well. So it's, it's a sort of essential for me too, but it's working really well. Have you had to really reinvent the structure of the team and teaching the people that were here previously the new way you would like a team to run? Yeah, a little bit, but we're all trying to learn together. Um, you know, we've got there's already two engineers there and Stu's on the radio and engineering the car, and I'm, I'm trying to do a bit bigger picture and look for the areas we can evolve into helping with some of the strategy stuff so Steve Henderson and I I think it's about process and trying to understand where we want to get to but that's everyone's deciding that ourselves but I guess we we can help in move in a direction but everyone's deciding and on board with that. Now when when teams are small as this one is and it's about the smallest team in pit lane um, having crash damage is one of the things that makes it very difficult when you're going to, you know, an off weekend but then back yeah. to the Grand Prix. You've got that advantage. This car is clean and ready to go, it looks like. Yeah. So that's a lovely benefit for a start of a season, isn't it? Yeah, our goals this weekend, honestly, were to finish. You know, you know that if you finish Adelaide twice in the top ten and you set your weekend around doing that first and foremost... You've usually got a clean car, you've got some championship buffer that you can have a bad Grand Prix and you're probably still just in the top ten. So it, we, I'm really pleased that everybody achieved that with reliability. Frosty drove cleverly. We were conservative where we needed to be. So, yeah, it's really good. The other thing is you've got a sponsor in Irwin who come back to the sport after being big time with Stone Brothers. Now they're back in the sport again for, after being away for a while. So they're energetic as well, aren't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely, and it's really exciting, and, the, and and also having Bunnings and some of the other people on the car, but, like, the car looks awesome, we're all pumped, like, just proud, just proud to stand next to it and have the have the shirts, and, like, it's it's really cool. Well, wonderful, thank you so much, Phil Keat, of Triple uh, Eight, Triple Eight, of Team 18, and all that Irwin Racing, we look forward to watching you through the weekend at the Grand Prix. Thanks a lot, thanks, guys. Post-race six of the season at, at, at Albert Park. Um, with Phil Keed and just wanted to talk about uh, Car 18 and how this weekend was for you. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty good. You'd call it a bit of a tough weekend for us. It's um, you know pretty tricky track to meet early on in in, uh, in you know so much change with everything. We're we're pretty happy again like Adelaide. We consolidated uh, and and sort of you know dug out the best points we could with not a fast enough car. So. One of the things was it looked like Mark was out there racing. It was definitely, it wasn't, you know, sort of just hanging around out there. He was out there racing. 
Yeah, I mean, he was. He, he sees that as a challenge just to do his absolute best out there. He, he never leaves anything on the table, and, and, and he did that. The car really, you know, I think he probably made the car look, look better than it was most of the time there, so particularly in qualifying. Right, OK. So, uh, fortunately, it looks like a very straight car, so uh, Philip Island will be... Not Philip Island, right, but Simmons Plains will be relatively simple to prepare for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all our work's in the in the background at the moment. We're just sort of changing lots of things and working hard. So, anytime the car's straight, it's a huge advantage. We can we can do more of the other work we want to do. So. All right. Well, we'll certainly look forward to catching up with you later in the season and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Tony. Craig, um, it's all very well this parity adjustment talk and centre of gravity, which I've never had before. And, instigating a rule they've never had before and all sort of thing, but it just seems all too quick. You know, that amazing stat that, of course, that they've won six of six races, that the ZB won seven of eight in 2018 after the introduction of the new car. Well, a new new body shape. It just seems too premature for them to be making these sort of adjustments. Gather the data, review it, look at it, certainly. And that when they go to Simmons Plains, it's far more like of typical supercars race meeting than either Albert Park or Adelaide is. Because the tracks they're going to next are tracks like Barbagallo and Darwin and Townsville. These are tracks that are representative of what the cars, where they perform and how they how they do perform. Your thoughts? I agree, Tony. They do have seemingly jumped the gun on this. I can understand why they'd want to do centre of gravity testing and do some of the testing that they're getting involved with now, but it it doesn't make sense to make an adjustment before we really hit the motorsport heartland. So uh, let's see how it all pans out, but hopefully uh, with what we've seen so far, uh, this is uh, isn't it encouraging to say that we will have a, a Camaro or other sports cars of that muscle cars i should say of that ilk trying to join the series because it's good for business yes indeed and uh, we must also reflect on the fact there's been a change in management both adrian burgess and campbell little coming into a role that dave stewart uh, had virtually to himself prior um the impact of that we may well see or hear before the end of this year and maybe we'll never know but uh, it's certainly interesting that uh, that's one of the other parameters that changed, along with the introduction of the Mustang. So, that's it for another week of Inside Supercars. We hope you'll join us pretty Simmons Plains for our uh, pre-event forecast. That's it from me. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars.